Welcome back everyone to the podcast series brought to you by the International Arbitration Group at Denton's. With more than 40 partners and 120 lawyers, our group is widely recognized globally, trusted by corporations, states, and high net worth individuals for their most challenging international arbitration matters. We are pleased to bring you this episode of the International Arbitration Podcast during PDAC, taking place in Toronto, March 3rd to 6th. In our last episode, we were joined by Mike Schaeffler, where we explored some of the benefits of arbitration and how those apply to disputes in the mining sector. Today, we explore the fascinating area of deep seabed mining. My name is Rachel Howie. I am the co-lead for Litigation Dispute Resolution in Canada and a co-lead for the ADR and Arbitration Group here. And I'm James Langley, a partner in Denton's London team specialising in commercial and investor states arbitration. We are pleased to have with us today Dr. Diora Ziaeva from Denton's US. Diora is the US co-lead for the mining and natural resources sector. Her main areas of practice include investment treaty arbitration, international commercial arbitration, complex commercial litigation, and public international law. So diving right into the topic of deep seabed mining, Diora, can you set the stage for us with some background about what is going on in the deep seabed mining sector? Thanks very much, Rachel and James, and thanks for having me here. Yes, of course, deep seabed mining uh, is a topic that has seen a lot of important developments of the, over the last few years, and one with which our listeners might not be so familiar. Um, in short, the seabed floor is increasingly becoming commercialized in response to global demand for, among other materials, for example, battery components. However, regulations concerning mining in deep seabed have not kept up with the with this increased interest. So to start, I think it's important to uh, emphasize what do we what, what do I mean by deep sea um, seabed? Well, as you may know, coastal states have jurisdiction over the ocean floor off of their borders for a certain number of nautical miles, typically between 12 and 200, depending on a specific activity in question. Uh, but the ocean floor falling outside that range does not belong to any particular state. It is a shared resource. So the deep sea is subject to the rules of the United Nations Convention on the Law of the Sea, which subsequently created the International Seabed Authority, also referred to as ISA, to govern the international seabed. So in practical terms, the International Seabed Authority governs more than half of the oceans. So the International Seabed Authority's framework differs for explorative or exploitative investments. So exploration covers searching for resources. Exploitation, of course, covers the process of collecting and refining minerals. The International Seabed Authority adopted regulations back in 2013 that cover seabed exploration projects. Uh, they spell out who, where, and how um, can, can explore, essentially. And these regulations have been successfully implemented. Exploration contracts have now been granted in more than 30, uh, to more than 30 contractors, comprising a number of multinational enterprises from a variety of what are called sponsor states, right? The regulations require that a state sponsor projects to, so, to private companies. So those private companies must more work with the state sponsor to get approval. 
However, terms of exploitative investments have not been so clearly addressed by the International Seabed Authority, despite quite a significant pressure to do so. So in 2021, Nauru, which is a small island nation in Micronesia, triggered a, a provision in the uh, ISA implementation agreement that gave the ISA two years to finalize a code before provisional contracts should be awarded. Nauru is interested, as are many states and investors, in mining this the Clarion-Clipperton zone, which is a resource-rich area between Hawaii and Mexico. However, the International Seabed Authority concluded its July 2023 meeting without finalizing mining code. So the consequences of not finalizing the mining code are not yet clear. Under current law, the ISA must provisionally consider mining applications based on provisional rules, regulations, procedures, and norms. But provisional rules are provisional for a reason, and many aspects of that provisional rules are hotly contested. So that kind of leaves us uh, where we are today, which is ultimately a bit in the dark about the deep seabed mining regulatory apparatus and how it will look like in the near future. So, Diora, um, what are the immediate implications of the ISA's failure to adopt a mining code, do you think? Uh, thanks, James. I think um, the immediate effect is a lack of clarity regarding the requirements for engaging in deep sea mining projects. So the ISA ultimately has struggled to balance the interests of two main groups. One, those who see deep sea mining as an incredibly lucrative potential industry, and two, those who see it as an environmental danger. The economic impacts here are quite clear, right? There are believed to be trillions of dollars worth of resource on the seabed floor. And many of these resources are becoming increasingly desirable. For example, a recent report found that the lithium ion battery market was valued at $36.7 billion in 2019 and is projected to rise to $129.3 billion by 2027, driven by a rise in electric car battery demand. Cobalt, nickel, and magnesium are particularly essential in electric car batteries and are increasingly difficult to mine above the ocean surface. So deep, uh, so seabed mining presents a potential opportunity to gain access to those minerals at a time of rapidly increasing demand. But as opponents of the practice have noted, it is not clearly understood um, what the environmental dangers deep sea mining could pose. So primary concerns include unknown biodiversity loss, habitat destruction through mining technologies, and high pollution risks, including both the release of toxic substances and noise pollution, which is detrimental for marine mammals in particular. A recent study found that extracting minerals from the ocean floor could impact biodiversity on a scale of more than 25 times greater than land-based mining. So accordingly, in June of last year of 2023, more than 400 marine scientists and policy experts from 44 countries signed a petition stating that the ISA should not make any decisions about deep sea mining until 
scientists have a better understanding of what is at stake and all possible risks um, are understood. So it rains, I think it remains to be seen which of the scams the ISA will support, if either. So taking all of that into consideration and looking at this on a more practical note, what are the implications for arbitration practitioners given the state of where deep sea bed mining is at currently? Thank you, Rachel. Uh, there are already a wide ar array of dispute resolution mechanisms relevant to commercial disputes on the deep sea bed. A recent article found that these disputes fall within kind of six categories. One, disputes between an applicant, right, who is the prospective contractor with the ISA over the approval of a plan of work in the form of contract. Uh, second category is the disputes between a contractor and the ISA over the implementation of a contract. Uh, third category could be disputes between a contractor and its sponsoring state over the implementation of a sponsoring agreement or the revocation of a sponsorship certificate. Uh, fourth category would be the disputes between contractors over interface with each other's activities. Fifth category would be the disputes between a contractor and other users of resources or space in the area, or sorry, for example, high seas over interface with one and uh, with one of another's activities, for instance, right? And then finally, the disputes between a contractor and a coastal state over the violation of the rights or interests of that particular coastal state. So currently, there are different settlement mechanisms for each type of a dispute. So the practitioners uh, and contractors and all the related parties must stay informed of their rights and obligations in each. A formalized mining code could significantly shape how these areas are addressed going forward. So for example, by creating dispute resolution procedures specific for the ISA-approved deep sea exploitation projects. And of course, it will be interesting to watch how this develops. So stay tuned. I just had one question to you, which is, uh, is there anything at the moment um, that provides for arbitration or, or um, do you, any particular area that you think very likely would be subject to arbitration? Uh, th thank you so much, James. There, there isn't currently, but it is anticipated that arbitration would be the, uh, the uh, you know, one of the most likely methods of dispute resolution, right, going forward, um, it, given how many parties are involved. Uh, but I guess we are yet to see what the mechanism is. Thank you very much for joining us. Our next session will be posted shortly. Denton's is a global legal practice providing client services worldwide through its member firms and affiliates. This episode is not designed to provide legal or other advice, and you should not take or refrain from taking action based on its content. Please see Denton's.com for legal notices.